Welcome to Week in Review, where we recap the events and issues pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WMBD Radio News Director Will Stevenson. We may not know how prevalent human trafficking truly is in Central Illinois, but we do know it is prevalent enough. The Center for Prevention of Abuse here in Peoria serves dozens of counties in helping to address the problem, and they've come up with a new way to keep spreading the message that there is help available. The center has partnered with CityLink to wrap a bus with an ad containing a number to call if someone sees it. We hear more about that from CEO Carol Myrna. We are very proud to be the host of the Human Trafficking Services Department at the Center for Prevention of Abuse. And one of the first things that I want to do is to recognize the members who operate our Human Trafficking Services Department who are here today. So we just want to say thank you to them for the heartfelt work that they do, um, along with the other staff from the Center for Prevention of Abuse who have joined us. Um, CFPA, for those of you who don't know, is a pioneer in providing services uh, for survivors of interpersonal violence, 50 years strong. The Human Trafficking Services Department has been in existence since 2018, and I am very happy to say that CXT has been our partner in Human Trafficking Services since day one. They joined us six years ago in support of Human Trafficking Services Awareness Month. Why? Because they believe in the cause. They are partners for a safer and more peaceful community. They are fair trade. They know where their products and services come from, which is extremely important in the work of human trafficking services. So we're very thankful for them for the six years that they've joined with us, and we're, um, we just couldn't say thanks enough. So thank you to Kelly, to Tristan, to Mitch, and uh, we hope that, that partnership continues. Ten cents of every drink during the entire month of, month of January goes to the Center for Prevention of Abuse and the work that we do for human trafficking. And when you go inside, you'll see that there are special coffee sleeves, especially designed to bring awareness for human trafficking services. So uh, let's talk about the bus. Could there be a more beautiful blue? It's exactly what we asked for. So we're very thankful to Hoke Advertising for the work that they did. Uh, It is a very specific design that was well thought out. As you can see, it says human trafficking can happen to anyone, anywhere, and we can help. Uh, there couldn't be more true words. It can happen to anyone. As you can see, the, the pictures on the bus and on the other side, it could be a friend, it could be a neighbor, it could be a coworker, it could be your child's classmate. It can happen to anyone. It is the exploitation of people for profit. It's wrong. It's a criminal industry. It's the second largest criminal industry in the world. And it happens here in central Illinois. We've served about 200 survivors of human trafficking at the Center for Prevention of Abuse since the department opened. And 90% of those people are homegrown from central Illinois. So we want everyone to join with us to do what we can to spot it, to combat it, and to prevent it. So we're all about educating. We're all about serving. And uh, we want everyone to join with us in, in going after that cause. So take a look at both sides of the bus, because the other side of the bus is in Spanish. We want to remove all the barriers that we can for people that need our services to find a pathway to peace. And language can most certainly be a barrier. Almost 10% of the population in Peoria is Latino, and it is so very important to make sure that we reach as many people as we can. So we have staff that are absolutely committed to making sure that we reach those populations. We want to reach people who are in marginalized communities, 
who are in a difficult socioeconomic class, all races, all religions, uh, everyone that we can to make sure that they know that our services at the Center for Prevention of Abuse are 100% free of charge and 100% confidential. And we believe you and we're here for you. So if we can say also thank you to a few of our board of directors who are here with us today. Thank you for being here. Um, thank you to CityLink. This is their bus. It's their route. They're helping us bring the word. So we, we're going to take a picture with our folks from CityLink, and then I'm going to ask everybody to come together so we can take a picture um, to help celebrate this great bus that's going to be roaming around town and bringing good words to the folks that need them. It is surprising to a lot of people to find out that it is so prevalent in central Illinois, but it happens everywhere. It's not just central Illinois. It's not just Illinois, which is actually always in the top 10 of human trafficking in the states in the United States. But it does happen in every corner of the United States. And the 200 survivors that we served is really just the tip of the iceberg. What we don't see is what's lurking beneath the surface. And there's a lot of folks that are caught up in human trafficking that don't want to be caught up in human trafficking, that really don't know where to turn. Well, I'd like to say it's improving because we're hearing from more people, but we don't have numbers to show that. It's very difficult to show improvement when we really just don't understand the full magnitude of, of how it's happening in this area. We can look at a heat map that's provided by the think tank that keeps the data in Washington, D.C. about human trafficking, and Illinois glows like a flashlight. Um, and it has, and that's why the Justice Department asked us to take this on about seven years ago. But we do believe that we're seeing more people than ever. That means that our word is getting out. We offer trainings to not just first responders, but to hospitality, to service clubs. I spoke to a Rotary Club yesterday. Rotary North is providing a fundraiser for us. So we know that people are interested and they're hungry for information, and we're glad to provide it. We're hoping that the bus provides a reason for people to take pause, to stop and think, what is human trafficking? Is this what's happening to me? Is this maybe what's happening in my neighborhood? Is this what's happening to my child's friend? We want people to stop and think, and we want to start the conversation. We want to make sure that people know that they have an outlet for someone to train them, somebody they can ask questions of, somebody that they can make a report to. We always want people, if they really feel that they have a bad gut feeling about something that they may feel that is human trafficking, they can always call local law enforcement. But they're always welcome to call the Center for Prevention of Abuse Crisis Hotline. There's about 30 different typographies for human trafficking. But it's basically when someone is forced, frauded, or coerced into doing something that benefits someone else. Someone's freedom is stolen for profit. It's a $150 billion industry, so what does it look like? It is um, when someone doesn't have control of their documents. I don't have a driver's license. I don't know where I am necessarily. Someone else is speaking for them and in complete control of a conversation. Perhaps there's physical signs of abuse. They aren't dressed appropriately for the weather. Maybe if it's a door-to-door salesperson or someone who's panhandling. Uh, it could be that they just have no concept of, of what's going on in everyday life. You try to have a conversation with somebody, and if they're not whisked away by their trafficker, they're completely confused. Um, about what you've asked them and how they should answer. So if you have a gut, bad gut feeling, we ask people to please stay safe. Uh, don't take it upon yourself to take somebody away and take them somewhere. Take note of where you're at. What does it look like? What's a license plate number? Contact local law enforcement. Call the Center for Prevention of Abuse. And we're going to make sure that we do what we can to serve.
So we want people to see something that's familiar. Um, and that's going to catch their, the people in the windows, definitely going to catch their attention. But everyone that's pictured on this bus is someone that could be trafficked. It's every walk of life. There is no discrimination and abuse at all. Uh, it can happen to anyone at any time. If someone has any vulnerabilities, traffickers will often prey on them. One in four victims are children. One in seven children reported to the um, Center for Missing and Exploited Children is believed to be caught up in trafficking. So we wanted this bus to bring some familiarity, to, t to stop, to look at it, to take pause, to realize that this could be a problem here, maybe I know something about it, and to call the number either for help, for guidance, or for a training. I think that we're going to have to reduce supply and demand. If the demand goes away, the supply goes away. And that comes with better education and partnerships with law enforcement. The Center for Prevention of Abuse is the lead victim service provider for the Illinois State Police when it comes to human trafficking. So we want to make sure that we continue that, we grow that, we serve 46 counties for human trafficking, we want to bring in more partners, we want pe more people to understand what it is, and when we do that, uh, when we can train whole communities at a time, it's going to make a difference. And the, the demand is going to shrink and the supply is going to just slither away. Center for Prevention of Abuse CEO, Carol Myrna. Some of the best medical care and technology around resides in all Peoria hospitals and medical facilities. One of those pieces of technology at one hospital was shown off this week. It's called Ion Robotic Assisted Bronchoscopy, and it's available at Carl Health Methodist Hospital. It's a more precise tool to screen and help treat lung cancer. It's been used a hundred times by pulmonologist Dr. Ahmed Agamea and I talked with him about it. It is a uh, cutting-edge technology where we use a very small camera, uh, and that's coupled with uh, a um, software uh, that helps generate information from us from the patient's uh, CT scan, and it helps us reach areas in the lung that we're interested in biopsying, uh, and, and that's mostly to try to get uh, the patient a diagnosis of whether the spot we see on the CT is cancer or benign. How is that different, I guess, or how is that more advanced than how you did it before? Yeah, so with traditional bronchoscopies, uh, the usual way it's done is that the bronchoscopist or the lung doctor would hold the uh, camera in his hand and then would drive it down into the patient lung, relying on, the, uh, on his interpretation of the CT and where he thinks he should go. Uh, and, and while that... Uh, you know, can get the diagnosis, the accuracy with doing it is around like 70%, 71%. Um, this technology can increase our accuracy significantly because we're relying on the software, we're relying on the patient's CT, uh, and it's a very user-friendly interface that really helps uh, make sure that you're getting into the right spot. Our accuracy with this uh, device reached 95% according to our uh, analysis of our uh, last 100 cases. That's amazing. I was going to say 70% to me sounds pretty good, except, of course, in most of my tests in grade school. But <laughs> um, but 95%, I mean, that's probably as close to 100 as you can get, right? Yeah, pretty much. At the, least with the technology right now? Absolutely. I think the only, the only way to get 100% diagnosis is to surgically remove uh, that piece that have the problem. The, but that carries all sorts of risks. It's a big surgery. It takes like uh, the patient a while to recover from it. And then at the same time, like in patients who actually have that done, 
20% of the time you're doing it for nothing. Like, uh, you know, it's, it ends up being not even cancer. Ends up being benign. So you're like, what's the point? Exactly. <laughs> um, but, but that said, I imagine if you just go in and, and try to take the whole thing out and it is cancer, you run the risk of missing some of it, don't you? Yes, you might end up leaving something behind. You might end up uh, not really uh, getting all of the cancer out, and that would also be putting you at an increased risk without really getting the benefit of like, uh, curing, the, curing the cancer. Um, so talk to me a little more then about this device. What, um, how does it work? I guess I saw some of it work at work a little bit ago, and it's, it's, it's really kind of, in, I, I don't want to say invasive without being invasive, but maybe it's, but maybe it's detailed. I guess. Yeah. So, you know, the main the main benefit of this is like, uh, you know, we're not really doing any incisions. We're not like cutting anything out. The only thing I'm doing is I'm taking that camera and driving it down like very accurately to reach that specific area I'm interested in. And once I'm there, I have many ways to confirm that this is the right spot. And I, all I do is just uh, put a small needle into that area and get some samples from it or take very small pieces uh, from the targeted area with a forceps. So it, it, as far as invasiveness, this is considered minimally invasive as compared to something as big as a, as a, as a you know, lung surgery. How do you know what you're looking for? Yeah, so uh, based on the CT scan, I already, you know, select my target. And then once uh, I'm in the procedure and I reach that target, I have to confirm, like, that I'm right there. The way I confirm, I use uh, an ultrasound probe. The ultrasound can show me that uh, lesion. And then the other thing I do is while we are in uh, the procedure, we do a CT scan that shows us the catheter and the nodule, and we, it, it kind of helps us see uh, the needle inside the, the target as well. So by and large, you, you kind of go in knowing obviously what you're looking for, but you, you, you're able to make especially sure. Exactly. Then the other uh, layer of confirmation that we have is that anything I'm doing a biopsy from goes to a pathologist that's with me in the room. They prepare slides and they can tell right away if this is something that's benign or if it's uh, a malignant diagnosis. What do we know about lung cancer these days? It seems like obviously we know that, that smoking and use of tobacco can lead to lung cancer, but it seems like I'm hearing more and more about lung cancer in people that, that don't smoke as well. How, do, how does that happen? Yeah, so the patients who are not smoking and get lung cancer are usually just unlucky. Like they have a genetic predisposition. Uh, there is like some inheritance component to it. So so the, the best clue for, uh, for someone who uh, is not smoking, like if they want to, uh, you know, get themselves checked out, it would be like if one of their family members had it, especially at a younger age. It, it, it wouldn't be like the wise thing to do to just wait until you have symptoms. So I would say if you uh, know someone in your family, especially like close family that had lung cancer, it would be uh, at least the, the smart thing to do to just get uh, regular x-rays. Okay. Um, where does lung cancer rate these days in terms of cancers and, and fatalities? Is it still pretty high up or obviously I think uh, there were other forms of cancer that are so, that are higher up on the list. Yeah, so cancer is actually like the number number one cause of cancer-related deaths. Uh, it, it kills more people uh, as compared to breast cancer, uh, as compared to like uh, colon cancer, as compared to prostate cancer, even if you combine all three of them. Uh, 
so it, it is it is a really big problem that we have and uh, you know obviously like uh, technologies like this can help us get ahead of it um, are is it still more of a problem based on age or are younger people I know I've heard of reports where you know forms of cancer are getting younger people but is lung cancer one of those two so lung cancer can affect young uh, patients but uh, we usually start worrying about it uh, after the patient turns 50 our our current uh, our current criteria we look for patients who smoked for 20 years and uh, are 50 years uh, old or or a little bit older is uh can, can you go your whole life smoking and still not get lung cancer? It seems like that's almost impossible. It, it is possible, yeah. Uh, but but it would be, I would say, a gamble. Uh, you know, the, the 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 lung cancer part, like you know, smoking is the biggest risk factor that we know. But you can actually, you know, th- there are like other genetic predispositions that we don't completely know about. So, uh, you know, if you're if you're smoking your whole life, you're definitely risking, uh, you know, having lung cancer and you're really gambling with your chances. Uh, so, so obviously it's one of those things I imagine like with other cancers where the earlier you get it, the easier it is to treat it. Absolutely. So uh, if you get lung cancer when it's a very small spot, the chances that you get it cured is more than 90%. Whereas if you wait until it's advanced, um, eight, only 8% of uh, patients can get, uh, you know, a cure. Getting back to, before I run out of time, this this technology, I guess, are are there ways to make something like like this even better? I mean, 95% accuracy is... There to understate it, awfully good. Yeah, so so we are we're constantly working on trying to get to the next level. So uh, using this uh, technology, usually you can use that with uh, different types of imaging or different types of X-rays. Initially, when we started, we were using something called a 2D fluoroscopy, where we can get uh, X-rays that confirm the position of the catheter. But now we uh, invested in uh, a 3D C arm, which is uh, a technology that gets you a picture that looks exactly like a CT and that really helped improve our accuracy significantly Uh, down the road like there are other uh, you know ways where like for example as I told you we're using a needle we're using a forceps to get the sample Uh, there are other tools that are being developed that will help us get uh, more pieces of the tissue we're interested in just to maximize our yield so it is a constant it's a constant kind of uh, uh, you know R&D, if you you want to kind of call it. Carl Health Methodist Hospital, Dr. Ahmed Agamea. A longtime Peoria agency devoted to helping the homeless still will be, but it's taking on a new name and a somewhat new mission. Peoria Rescue Ministries this week changed its name, becoming Pathway Ministries. Its leader, John Rokey, talked about the change with WMBD's Greg Batten and Dan DiOrio. We've been going through a change uh, over the last few years, moving from a predominant focus on crisis relief. So most people think about us as the emergency shelter. Where yeah, I see a guy in the street. Uh, he doesn't look like he has a place to go. Right. And we stop and go, hey, if you just go over there where it says Jesus saves. And they can stay. Uh, they can stay, right? Yeah, That's what I food. always think. Yeah, right. Yeah. But the shift has been towards 
uh, programs around lasting life change. And so we're going from a prominent focus on crisis relief to transformation, to life change. And so this name really uh, embodies that, signifies it, because that's a journey. That doesn't happen quickly. That doesn't happen overnight. Um, We say this, Jesus wants to rescue us, but he wants to renew us and restore us to a flourishing life. And put you on a path. Exactly. You You know, it reminds me of the old saying, I mean, when they walk in, you just calm them down, and it's the old saying, this is the first day of the rest of your life. Exactly right. It's a step, right? It's In fact, we actually internally now, we call our emergency shelter services navigation centers. Because when mm-hmm. they come in, the, the, we yes, we're going to offer compassionate safety, shelter, stability, but then we're going to invite them on a pathway out of poverty. Who's that country guy, rapper, Bubba, whatever, <laughs> that he had that great quote, and, and, and as a metaphor, he goes, there's a reason the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. Hmm. So it's like when Absolutely. people walk in, it's like, okay, the past is there. Right. Your whole thing is we're going pathway forward. Right. right. Yeah. We're working towards what's future. The, what's, who, who are we looking at uh, on a typical person? And huh. first of all, how do they get to you to go on their new path? Yeah. Uh, and, and is there a, a kind of a stereotypical demographic and age? And you know, that's the, that's the funny thing. There isn't. Um, everybody's pathway into poverty is unique. Um, you may have grown up in generational poverty. You may have experienced abuse. Um, you may be experiencing addiction. Those kind of traumas really can lead to a lot of you know issues of our life, life-controlling issues. But we've seen guys that were successful knocking down big dollars, but their addiction caught up to them. Right. Um, so it, it, we, it, it's honestly everybody's can't, can't story it, is yeah. unique. Okay, so then tell me about the path then. Is everyone's pathway? pathway yeah. Is everybody's pathway going to be unique, or do you have kind of a, a standard way of get, at least getting started? Yeah. So what we love about the new name is that it has a lot of significance, a yeah, lot it, of it meanings. Does, a lot of nuance right. to it. Yeah. Right, it yeah. does. And so I would say this, everybody's path is unique. Because how they got there and how they're going to get out of poverty. Mm-hmm. However, we also say this. Look, the, 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 the pathway metaphor has been used in the Bible to talk about our life. It's just all throughout the Bible. But it kind of culminates in the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, mm-hmm. the truth, and the life. And if you look at our logo, our new logo, it. uh, it's, it, it represents... We believe, you guys have heard us talk about this, we believe that poverty isn't just a lack of material things. Poverty is brokenness that we all experience within the four fundamental relationships of life. Our relationship with God, self, others, and the rest of creation, or work. And if you see it in our logo, those four arrows represent those four relationships, and they're all pointing to the cross. Because... Jesus came to preach the good news to the That's poor. That's a pretty smart logo well, there, man. That's you know, it's good. really interesting, and it's this is affiliated with one of the partisan polis, uh, parties in politics. But there are many people, and, and maybe they're not even in politics, but always said that, you know, everyone talks about the decay in the United States, and they talk about the moral poverty that sure. we have, or the, you know, the... Right. The poverty of conviction of where we are going. Yeah. We say this. Look, p- 
poverty can look different for all of us. You may, for one, it might mean I don't have a job. For another, it might mean a workaholic. <laughs> oh, it's so true. You think wow, about that. I, I got one for you. Yeah. We're talking to John Rokey, by the way. The Peoria Rescue Ministries is now Pathway Ministries, and that's the point of this conversation is to introduce that to you. Uh, loneliness is a poverty. And Absolutely. Dan and I have been on a yeah. – we've had a couple stories lately of how rampant that is in the United States. And in particular, it is rampant among men our age. Sure. And, and – that can be devastating, and you might have all the money in the world, but if you go home at night and you're by yourself and you feel terrible, that's you're 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 poor, man. Yeah, you're we, poor in that regard. Anyway, we talk about that relationship with others. Yeah, and it can either be conflict or loneliness. But what God wants for us is community. Right. Right. Let me ask you about this. I, I think that we are quick to judge, and we've talked to you many times about. Uh, the industry that you're in, I hate to call it that, but the, the mission that you're in. <laughs> sure. Uh, the, but those people that you deal with uh, 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 professionally advise us to not give money to people who ask us for a dollar uh, because there's a real yep. detrimental effect of that. Yeah. Not to beat up on that, but what do we do if we're so blessed that we're not, I don't, I don't need you. Uh, but I would like to support you or or even support you in my actions. Right. And we see people out that are having trouble or standing on a corner with a sign. What do we do? Yeah, I, I, I tell everybody, if it's a safe environment, right, first and foremost, sure. engage that person so that they know. I tell them, you know, say your name. Hey, I'm Greg. Yeah. What's your name? And that'll probably shock them that somebody actually Asked made on eye contact yeah. and cared about their name. And then you can encourage them. Hey, I know there's a place. There's places here in town. We're not the only one, but there's places here in town where you can get real help. And so, you know, I, I also say if you carry a, a gift card in your wallet, if you really want to, you know, help somebody in those, carry a gift card like a to a meal to Chick Fil A or yeah, McDonald's or, or something. Ten dollar gift card so, at Schnucks or something. So yeah, if, yeah. if they, because the sign is going to say I'm hungry. Yeah. That's really not the case yeah. <laughs> most of the time because there's places they can get food. Can I yeah, ask I you your opinion of, a, a, of an opinion that I hear all the time? Yeah. Uh, there's a very strong belief among a lot of people that I know <laughs> that some of the people that we see asking for money, that it's all coordinated and that it is some kind of uh, a plan. It is some kind of plan. What, what is your reaction yeah. to that? I think there is some of that. But it's hard to, again, quantify exactly how right. much of that is and, and what's maybe legitimate panhandling, right. if you can call it that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would say this. Either way, who wants to be standing out on a corner? What's the dignity in that of asking for, for money or asking for things? That's right. hard work, too. Well, it is, yeah. and dangerous and, <laughs> yeah. and, and right. all that. But I, I want to talk about uh, these residential programs and how we get people – uh, a job and how we train them and, and do all of those things to help them. Yeah, you know, it's amazing because I see up by me, there's a person out there eight, ten hours a day yeah. in the cold. Oh, I know. And I'm like, okay, if you took that effort, I know. you could get a good paying job. Yeah. People well, would hire you. You're showing up every day. That's right. <laughs> remember the guy, Danny, that got me at the gas station a number of years ago? <laughs> oh, the guy. I remember that yeah. story. Yeah. He got you. <laughs> and I figured out one day, I was like, well, if this guy's doing this many hours a day. Well, he's a shit. And he's only working five days a week. Yeah. 
uh, maybe a few hours. I figured he's coming in at eighty grand, and he's doing a cash business and a cash business. <laughs> yeah, right. He's not going to go get another job, <laughs> no. right? Yeah. All right don't, well, don't say they're not bright. No, no, this guy, <laughs> this guy was super bright. Uh, the The fact of the matter is, the shift is uh, for, for folks just joining us. The shift is away from the emergency overnight. I don't have a place to stay. Can I come get a sandwich and a place to s- a sleep? to getting people on a pathway to a successful life. And successful life is a combination of four things. Tell me the four again. Yeah, the, the relationships uh, that we call the, the, the real root of poverty is broken relationships with God, self, others, and the rest of creation or work. Right. And so we want to see those restored and renewed. So the number of people that sl- stay overnight now at your place is down. Actually right? up. Oh, they're up, but the oh, let me rephrase it. Yeah, what you said to me was emergency stuff. Correct is down. Yes, four years ago, eighty percent of our bed capacity, our residential capacity, was reserved for emergency shelter. Gotcha. And only fifteen percent, or only twenty percent, was available for folks in life change programs. Got it. Today, it's completely flipped. Eighty-five percent of our Capacity. Our residential capacity is reserved for those in life change programs and only 15% available for emergency shelter. John Rokey of Pathway Ministries with WMBD's Greg and Dan. Two new exhibits are opening this weekend at the Peoria Riverfront Museum. And you might say they complement each other in several ways. One is called insects and one is called critters. I talked with the curators of both exhibits. I'm Renee Kerrigan, and I'm a curator of science and the planetarium director at the Peoria Riverfront Museum. So that means you're in charge of bugs now, too, correct? (laughs) Yes, that's right. I get to take care of our insects and our entomology collection. And that's uh, one of the couple of new exhibits that's happening here. It's just all about insects, right? Yes, we just opened the exhibition Insects, and it will be open until April 24th, and it pairs a lot of insects that are preserved in cases that are part of our permanent collection with these beautiful high-resolution photographs of insects from British photographer Levon Biss. How did you get the photos, and, and how does one come a, come into a permanent collection of insects? Well, uh, our collection at the museum is built by givers, and that's true of our insects as well. So actually, uh, members of the Peoria Academy of Sciences, uh, Mr. Beale and Mr. Princeton, they were local amateur uh, entomologists. They collected insects, and back in 1964, Mr. Beale gave his collection of insects to the museum, um, and then in 2012, Mr. Princeton's family, uh, after he passed away, gave his collection to the museum. So we use them to teach about bugs and the natural world around us. Um, the Levon Biss prints we actually uh, purchased from the artist. He takes these macro photographs of insects where he focuses on each part of the insect. He takes thousands of pictures um, that are individually lit, individually focused, and then he stitches them all together to make these really beautiful portraits of insects. These are really beautiful portraits, as you just said. How does he how does he do it? How does he how does he make them so clear and yet, you know, sort of they're they're brilliantly photographed insects, right. but how does 
how does he do it all? Well, if you try to just take your phone and zoom in really close to an insect, you might get a picture, but it wouldn't be as beautiful as these. So he builds custom camera equipment, and then he he truly um, takes thousands of pictures, super, super, super zoomed in, and individually lit and individually focused. And that's so it's just a lot of hours go into each portrait and and that's how he gets them to look as um, beautiful as they are so that you can really see every detail of these wonderful creatures. I think that's probably one of the things that people will want to make note of when they come see this exhibit, right, is how how detailed right. and how how much these it, what these insects truly look like. I think so too. Now, and I think maybe people will have this similar experience to me. I've always been interested in insects, but personally, I don't like it if I feel an insect crawling on me or flying at me. It kind of same, right? It kind of makes me feel a little little bit nervous. So I found that I just loved looking at the insects, kind of more quietly when they're especially the ones that we have preserved in cases because I could look really closely I can notice their fine details many of them are very beautiful and you can see their colors their symmetrical forms um, all the amazing shapes that they take um, and there's no one that's going to be flying at you nothing that's going to crawl at you so I think it's a really uh, lovely way to look closely at a creature that maybe you wouldn't look so closely at in nature other than maybe the detail of the photos and, and how the other insects are displayed, is there anything that might surprise folks about this? Well, we have living insects in the exhibition as well, but don't worry, they're safely included in uh, some tanks. So we have um, a desert tank with beetles and some velvet ants. We also have an aquatic tank with some diving beetles in it. Um, and they're really fun to watch. They're very dynamic. They're also quite colorful. Um, and then folks might be surprised by the uh, insect fairies that we have on display. So we have an artist that uh, Cedric Laquaze, he makes what he calls fairies out of real uh humanely harvested insect parts. So there are these imaginative creatures made up of different types of insects that really look like some sort of fairy tale uh, fairy, um, but they're just made out of, of in butterfly wings and beetle heads. My name is Zach Zetterberg, and I'm the curator of art here at the Peoria Riverfront Museum. Tell me about critters. <laughs> well, that's a good question. I know. So, <laughs> well, you know, we knew insects was uh, was coming up, and we thought, what what could we pair with uh, insects? And we had a, a local collector that recently acquired uh, a painting by uh, the great folk artist uh, William Hawkins. And the title of the painting is Critter. And I knew we already have a Hawkins painting that's uh, installed in the museum in another gallery. I, I, w- I wanted to bring this other painting, the Critter, into the museum. So we wrapped an exhibition around it, and it, it really is uh, just a celebration of animals and art. I know folks uh, can't see this right now, but is that the is that the uh, painting I'm looking at right here, or is that another one? That That is another one. Um, oh, okay. That's by uh, uh, Lori Hogan. Uh, she's a nationally, internationally known uh, painter. She's the head of the uh, School of Art at um, at the University of Illinois. Uh, she leads the painting department, and she makes exceptional critters. Yeah, she sure does. And and there are a couple of uh, paintings here I see that are really amazing. 
Yeah, so we have two paintings by uh, Peoria-based painter Ken Hoffman, who for the majority of his career painted critters wearing suits. And he he led the uh, Bradley painting department for most of his career. But uh, all these years, penguins uh, were wearing tuxedos. They didn't even need to have a suit on. <laughs> tell me, tell me more about this, I guess, uh, and and what else we'll see here, and and why you're doing it. Sure. So, I, really, this show just builds on what we do here at the museum every day. Uh, we build relationships with collectors, and we try to build our own permanent collection in a way that we can bring artwork to the community. That is of a national and international level. And so what's been really great for me is we've gotten access to collections that we normally have not had access to. Um, believe it or not, people in central Illinois have great collections of critters. People like, people like animals. We're j- just naturally drawn to them and fascinated by them. And, um, you know, artists are too. And so, uh, there's just a really dynamic and diverse range of, uh, of uh, exploration of animals and art. We have a uh, relationship with Art Bridges Foundation in Bentonville, Arkansas, and they have uh, they are supplying us funds to have one day every month. The second Sunday of the month will be open to everyone. That's amazing. Yeah. And so February 11th, we'll have an artist who's featured in Critters. Her name is Lori Hogan. She's an exceptional painter. She's the uh, head of the painting department uh, at the University of Illinois, and she will be here starting at 1 o'clock. She'll give a lecture on her work and what she thinks uh, about Critters. She's uh, not the one that puts uh, birds in suits, is she? No, she is not. <laughs> She's actually the one that painted this painting. She oh, that is amazing. Hybrid uh, hybrid animals painting a high, highly realistic and sort of historical uh, context. We kind of talked about it at the beginning since we've been standing near it, but this is, this, this is so brilliant. I, I can't think of another way to describe it. I know, right? And, um, you know, to, to have access to artwork like this and also Lori lives right in our backyard having somebody that um, an artist of this caliber so close to the museum it we're just really fortunate and and to have her coming to the museum please do not it's it's worth your time please come and visit it's completely free Renee Kerrigan and Zach Zetterberg with the Peoria Riverfront Museum That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us again next week on this Midwest Communications Station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in Central Illinois. You don't have to wait for Week in Review to get the lowdown on what's happening in Central Illinois. For instant news 24-7, follow us at 1470 WMBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and at WMBDradio.com. That's also where you can find the Week in Review podcast which you can also get wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Will Stevenson, WMBD Radio News.